As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod. We are the Big 12 Podcast on the Andy Staples Show and Friends Podcast feed. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Sam Khan and I'm joined as always by my friends Max Olson and Jason Kersey. We are a post-signing day edition of One True Pod. We've got new Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire joining us later in the show. Going to talk a little bit about his first five and a half weeks on the job and Tech's signing class and his new staff. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Texas. Uh, their strong close with Steve Sarkeesian, uh, flipping a few guys, getting Quinn Ewers, Brent Venables, uh, salvaging Oklahoma's recruiting class here in his first signing day in Norman, and a few other notes uh, around the Big 12. But guys, how are you doing? Max, how are you doing this morning? Are you recovered from the long signing day? I'm recovered. I'm, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I'm doing as well as Deion Sanders. But I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good today. And, uh, you know, uh, it was it was a fun one. We had a tornado warning here yesterday, so that was wild. Yikes. Had a storm blow through for about five minutes. Um, and, and yet that that still wasn't as surprising to me as, as Travis Hunter flipping from Florida State. Uh, and, man, I, I really – I don't know. if Did you guys get a chance to uh, join the, uh, the uh, Fire Mike Norvell – uh, Twitter space yesterday, man. What a what a what a treat that was. I, I joined the wrong one. I was I was driving from <laughs> uh, from uh, North Shore High School to Tuscaloosa High School for two signings, and you had told me about it. and I was going to jump on, and the only one I found in my feed at the moment was the Keep Mike Norville one. So I was on that one, and I was, <laughs> that was like, the, Wait, was that is, Miami fans? I think it was Miami fans. Mike Ryan from <laughs> Levitard Show was in that one, and I, I was like, what is this? I was like, this is not what Max told me it would be, and then I later found out, oh, I'm in the wrong one. But I heard uh, David Ubbin wrote a great story on The Athletic today, by he the did. way, about that. Jason, uh, how was your signing well, Jason, day? weigh in here, since Sam t- took the other side. Are you are you fire Mike Norvell, or are you keep Mike Norvell forever? <laughs> I, I didn't get in either of them. Um, I, I just had to read about them. Um, I would say that I'm right in the middle on the uh, Urban Meyer to Deion Sanders scale. I'm right, I'm right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wide scale. Uh. 
I, uh, that, so I guess I'm a little more Dion then. I'm not that bad. In, in between professional high and professional rock bottom, you're you're yeah. right in the middle. There. Right, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Straddling will, the line. I will say, I wonder if TCU fans, and and I know a lot of them are very uh, happy with the Sunny Dykes hire, but I wonder if there's some of them. You know, we had Joel Anderson on earlier this year, pumping up Deion Sanders. Oh man, pulling off this kind of recruiting, thing, putting off this kind of recruiting coup. I'm starting to wonder if maybe maybe some Power Five programs should be we, looking at Dion. We need to, TCU wonders if they should have hired him. Uh, we they need will. To, I mean, someone's yeah. going to do it next year. You kind of just assume, as long as I mean, as, as, assuming Jackson State wins a lot of games next year. Like, I kind of, I guess, we just have to just assume that. Somebody's going to shoot that shot. We should just invite Joel back and just say, Joel Anderson, you have the floor. <laughs> Five-minute victory lap. Go ahead. Oh, oh I texted him yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I can't repeat everything that was in the text that I got back from Joel. <laughs> from Joel but uh, but I, I think Sonny's going to do great. And uh, they, had a, they had a good start, small class to start, but a lot of good players that, that they signed yesterday. But let's start with Texas. Uh, they close out with some flips. Uh, but let, let's start with Quinn Ewers. Max, uh, you know, you were involved in covering this part. Quinn Ewers may be the biggest get that Steve Sarkeesian has got since he got on Texas, got, got the job. Uh, number one quarterback in the 2022 class, reclassified, went to Ohio State. We know the whole story. He ends up, at the end of the day, the Longhorns win the sweepstakes to get him. What did you think of how that process played out and also what he means to Texas moving forward? I mean – Savior with a capital S, right? I mean, that's kind of the, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it's no pressure. Probably not, probably not fair to the kid, but uh, you know, I think he also knows what he's getting into there at Texas, and um, especially when you have committed to them in the past, and you know how important you were to the fan base and recruiting and all of that. Um, yeah, really, really uh, kind of wild how things all turn out. You know, Steve Sarkeesian plays the long game there, and, and eventually gets him back, and um, you know, I think that. Fascinating to see what this means for Texas's quarterback room and, you know, how do Casey Thompson and Hudson Card look at uh, that situation? Obviously, Malik Murphy also still signed with Texas. So um, that room went from pretty, pretty <laughs> banged up and, and, and thin to uh, a lot of arms now, a lot, a lot of people to manage. Um, I, I Certainly a huge deal. And I think it's going to be helpful in recruiting in, in, in a lot of ways, probably too, in terms of people believing in the direction for Texas, but boy, oh boy, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot to put on a kid. I, he's being well compensated to, for all that pressure, obviously, but <laughs> what did you, what did you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I think it, I agree with you. I think it's a lot to expect to him and he should technically be a true freshman. He'll be a redshirt freshman because he was at sure. Ohio state this year, but he reclassifies. So in reality, he should be a true freshman going into this year and you're expecting that guy to save the program. And that I can tell you haven't covered Texas all year. Their issues go well beyond quarterback that, that, that is not honestly, that wasn't the worst thing in 21. I don't think it's the top three issue in the list of issues at Texas right now. I would start with the offensive line, which by the way, they address in a big way. Yeah in the signing class and they close strong uh Landon Malik Ogbo and and uh, they get Kelvin Banks down the stretch they got Cameron Cam Williams, Williams possibly uh, Devin Campbell yeah yeah possibly Devin Campbell in the February period when he's going to sign uh they they really did a good job in that area uh so and they that, signed about a dozen guys for their D-line it seemed like so and they're not done with that either so Bo Davis is not <laughs> having the current group I guess I guess he's moving on to new guys but uh, but but well, I, I will what would say make this. you say that about Bo Davis. What, I know. I, <laughs> what are you what are you referencing there? No, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> in terms of bodies, man. Yeah, they they reloaded uh, like they needed to and and got a top five uh, class, which I guess goes to show you guys that 
I mean, now that we've seen it with four different head coaches in about a decade here, no matter the wins and losses, it's really not that hard to get top five classes at Texas. Yeah, Jason, you, you've seen this from afar, obviously, covering the rival school for quite some time. What is your perspective on not just this necessarily this class, but how this goes for Texas, where you get a class like this? Obviously, in the last 10 years, it hasn't panned out. What is your perspective on all of it and how they finished? Well, I mean, I just think this is a really interesting test for Steve Sarkeesian. I think that he's um, he had a very, very rough first season. This obviously is very exciting for them, and I think um, the fans are fired up, and they should be. This is a hell of a class that they've signed, um, but they're going to have to prove it on the field. I, that, I mean, uh, at a certain point, you can only win the offseason so many times, right? And Texas wins the offseason all the time. But that doesn't really mean anything. They don't give you any trophies for that. So um, I'm, I'm kind of in prove-it mode with Texas, as I have been for about eight years now. I, I'm, I'm going to need to see them prove it. I think I'm right there with you on that. And, and, I, and like I said, I will give Sark credit and his staff credit. And, and I talked to some recruits and families uh, who Texas was very much in the mix for down the stretch. And, and the reception has been really good. The staff – Kyle Flood, a lot of positive marks. Jeff Banks, Sark, a lot of positive marks for the efforts. And so I, I don't doubt their ability based on the way they closed. Obviously, the NIL stuff is hanging out there. Right. which certainly couldn't have hurt them, uh, especially when it comes to the offensive line and, and the Horns with Heart program. But I, I do think it is worth noting that this is a program that was losing momentum uh, at the end of November 5 and 7. They lost three commits at the end and, and able to kind of flip their fortunes, at least from a signing day perspective, and perhaps they're still in the mix for some. I, I know people talk about Denver Harris and North Shore Corner, uh, him, them still being in the mix for him. I, I would, if I were placing my bet on Denver Harris, who said he's going to announce on Saturday after state championship game, I don't think he'll go to Texas. I think he'll go to A&M. And then Evan Stewart, they, they seem to be making a push behind the scenes to try to get Evan Stewart. Uh, we're sitting here on Thursday morning. I've been told that they're, he's expected to sign today. But we will see. Uh, he's been long committed to AM, the five star receiver, number one receiver in the country. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But if they former, were able. Former Texas commit, too, right? Former Texas commit as well. So if yeah. they were able to pull that off and bring someone like Evan Stewart over with Quinn, that would just kind of put be the cherry on top, in addition to possibly getting Devin Campbell down the stretch. But but I, I think Sark's done a good job of just kind of creating some momentum. But, but Jason is right. The real work starts now. It's about player development. It's about retention. And it's about results on the field. And I just don't know that I look at this team and even they've got a great recruiting class, but it's going to take a couple of years, I think, or at least a year to get these guys going. I don't look at this and say all of a sudden, wow, this is a 10 win team next year. I still think this is a team with a lot of issues. <laughs> all these offensive I mean, linemen are not going to start it, as freshmen and just. It's hard It's hard for me to not just be like, hey, you know, I feel like I've covered this story before because it's yeah. just the hype cycle just resets. It's just a new hype cycle. So now you've got this class. They'll probably get another top five class, just as Charlie Strong did. And you'll say, okay, and, and just as Tom Herman did. And you say, okay, you know, once these guys are sophomores and then juniors and seniors, man, they're going to mm -hmm. be loaded. Yep. Okay. That, that, that's the expectation. And if, it, if that, that doesn't come true when they're juniors and seniors, then Texas will hire a new head coach. It just kind of keeps happening. So, you know, and Tom Herman was able to figure it out in year two. We'll see if – you know, start canon year two, but it just feels like uh, just the, the same old cycle here. I agree. I, I'm, I'm in proven mode on, on that, but I, I, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Jason, you, you are obviously in Norman yesterday covering the Brent Venables. 
signing class. He had a little bit of momentum issues because when Lincoln Riley left, there, there was a rash of decommitments. But just what's your perspective on how he salvaged this class and how it all came together at the end? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Brent Venables deserves a lot of credit. I mean, the, the Oklahoma class uh, was, was spiraling a little bit in the aftermath of Lincoln Riley. They lost commits. Um, but Brent Venables went to work, and, and they signed a class. Uh, they signed – They've signed 14 kids now uh, after Caden Helms. Caden Helms, the tight end from Nebraska, had a little bit of a weird day yesterday because his school got canceled because of severe winds, so he wasn't able to do his signing ceremony. But he did sign this morning. So they're up to 14. They have um, right now the number 10 class, which, man, when you lose your coach and you lose a bunch of commits like they did, uh, that's pretty damn impressive, I think, to to get back into the top 10. Now – We'll see how they do moving forward because they're going to need to sign more kids. I mean, 14 is not enough. Um, and one big one hanging out there is Gentry Williams, a four-star cornerback from Tulsa, one of the top cornerbacks in the country who is committed to OU but chose not to sign at this time. He's going to wait till February. I think he's critical for them. They, they need more depth in the defensive backfield. And those are just the kids you cannot let leave the state of Oklahoma if you're OU. So um, they're going to have to work on him. Um, they're still, they're one of the two finalists for Devin Campbell. As we were talking about Devin Campbell earlier, I would, I feel like he's probably leaning Texas. I don't know him, but that would be my guess. Sort of my perspective from afar seems to be uh, that he might end up at Texas, but, but they're still in the mix there. Um, and then the big one that I think is interesting is Kobe McKenzie, the linebacker from Lubbock, who was OU's longest standing commitment from, you know, pre-pandemic. He was committed before the pandemic started. And then he decommits, commits to Texas. And then Venables is somehow able to get him to come back in a matter of days. I think that's that's super impressive. They went out and got a a quarterback in Nick Evers from Flower Mound. Um, Lincoln Riley wasn't going to sign a quarterback in this class. That's a little bit of an interesting uh, switch, maybe in philosophy there. Although they did need a quarterback, and we still don't yeah. even know what's going to happen with Caleb Williams. That has not been decided yet. I do get the impression that Caleb Williams might be leaning towards staying. Um, he did his first interview yesterday uh, on Saw that. with our friends. Our friends from the podcast, the our Perry friends. on the pod, <laughs> Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis. Yeah. How did that interview go with Caleb? Any information that came from that interview that's valuable to us who are closely watching this situation? He was not asked and did not say whether he's coming back, but the way he spoke, I felt like he spoke as if he's going to be part of the program moving forward. Um, it was interesting to hear him talk about the Texas game. You know, so, doesn't that feel like a lifetime well, ago? Wasn't it, was it interesting for you to hear him just say words with his, <laughs> with his mouth that you could listen to? Yes. Yes, it was. It was I, you know, I interviewed him twice when he was a high when he was still a recruit in high school, and uh, it, it's funny, like I'd almost forgotten what he sounds like, and uh, but yeah, he he was great. It was really interesting hearing him talk about the Texas game and the emotions of that, and he sort of felt said he had a premonition the night before that it might happen. Uh, that that was all kind of interesting. That game just feels like a freaking lifetime ago, oh though. I, I I don't. It's like uh, I can't even believe that was in this calendar year that that game happened. But um, but it was interesting. But yeah, he hasn't said. But the impression I'm getting, it seems that that he may be leaning towards coming back, which would be huge. I, in fact, I would go as far to say he's the most important recruit OU has right now. They've got to convince him to stay. They just have to. You, we, you I talk- guess we got to do it like an emergency pot if he if he did go in the portal, didn't don't we? 
Yeah, I guess probably, we do. probably. Probably so. so. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, on that note, Jason, you, you touched on him just a minute ago. I know we talked a little bit about last week, but what were your thoughts on them getting Nick Evers, uh, long committed to Florida, Flower Mound quarterback, uh, four-star, really talented guy? Uh, what, what were your thoughts on initially them not obviously planning to take a quarterback, but now taking this one in Evers and, and what he might bring to them? Well, it's, the reason they weren't going to take a quarterback is because Lincoln Riley had typically – just gone odd years. So, you know, he signed Spencer Rattler in 19. He signed Caleb Williams in 21 and he had Malachi Nelson committed for 23. Obviously Malachi Nelson is gone. Um, Spencer Rattler has gone too, for that matter to South Carolina to follow uh, uh, Shane, Shane Beamer in South Carolina. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think probably what happened is Venables and Jeff Levy, who was hired as offensive coordinator. I don't think I've said that yet uh, from Ole Miss looked at the roster and said, we got Caleb Williams who they, aren't still aren't 100% sure if he's staying. They have Micah Bowens who transferred from Penn state, but couldn't even crack the depth chart last year. So uh, all of a sudden you're left with two scholarship quarterbacks, one of which who you're not even sure if he can play. So they needed to go get another body in that room. And uh, even, you know, despite his connections to Lincoln Riley, OU does have a connection to Nick Evers in the form of my friend and yours, Kevin Murray, uh, Kyler's father, who is 14 uh, football, who is his uh, quarterback trainer. So I think that helped. Um, And also Jeff Levy had a relationship with Nick Evers. He had offered him at Ole Miss. And uh, so they were able to do that. And then once Dan Mullen was fired and Nick Evers decommitted, um, he was available and he's right down the road. It was very easy to get him up for a visit and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's good. And and the other thing I think is interesting is I, I had a chance to talk to Nick Evers last week, and um, he said something that I feel like most quarterbacks in his position don't say. He said he wants a year of not playing. He wants wow to take a year and learn the system and play behind Caleb Williams, and uh, and you, get. His, you heard that from a quarterback? Wow, I did. It was yeah. I, it it was jarring. It was it was honestly jarring. But yeah, he he wants uh, that time. Now, I think if Caleb Williams leaves, Nick Evers better get ready to play. Um, now, they could yeah. go in the portal, but he's going to have an opportunity to play. But his preference is to is to have a year to learn in the system, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's that's fascinating to hear just the fact that he's willing to wait because that is uh, that is so unusual. And Dave, David Ubbin, I think, did a story about this, the death of the backup quarterback in college football at the athletic uh, earlier this week. It, it really is a situation where it's tough for coaches to manage this situation. But, uh, but overall, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how these classes close out. You still got the February period lingering as well. And I know for some guys there's under armor, all American games to announce, but 
overall, interesting day. You got Baylor had, I think, uh, a pretty strong finish here. They they were able to land Armani Winfield from Louisville. Uh, he was former Texas commit. Uh, Texas Big was one there. They yeah. were yeah they were trying to get him back in the boat. Uh, Texas was, but uh, four star receiver ended up going to Baylor. Uh, Justin Johnson, the running backs coach. Lead dog on that one, uh, did a good job of reeling him in, and then uh, TCU, of course, had their their transition class with Sonny Dykes. He he went really small, only nine guys, uh, Sonny signed, but uh, several of them from SMU. The top three commits in their class were guys that they'd already committed to SMU. Uh, two of them being four stars: uh, Jordan Hudson, the receiver, and Chase Biddle, the safety. Uh, Sonny said that he, he had a really interesting quote yesterday that uh, from his dad. Uh, the late Spike Dykes, he said, he said, we're never going to reach on guys. He said, uh, if you, if you don't take a player, you miss on a player that you don't get, you only play him once a year, but, uh, he can only hurt you once a year. But if, if, if you miss on a player that you do get, then he hurts you 365 days a year. And I thought that was an interesting <laughs> perspective because you have guys signing smaller like classes, that. guys signing smaller classes right now, because just of the nature of the early signing period and, and they haven't established relationships with some of these guys. So uh, I, I thought that was interesting. Max, any other takeaways that you got? Uh, I know you wrote a story as well. Any big takeaways from signing day either around the big 12 or, or nationally? Yeah. Yeah. wrote about, um, you know, you look at this coaching carousel and when you have six or seven of the top jobs in the country, all, all making new hires, then certainly that um, had a kind of, disruptive, uh, you know, destabilizing effect here on this recruiting cycle. And so I wrote about uh, some of the classes that benefit benefited by scooping up uh, players who decommitted from other schools. And, and you know, we, we'll get into this with Joe McGuire a little bit, but Texas Tech was one of those schools that benefited. They were able to pick up um, Landon Holaby, uh, the safety who was committed to Oregon. They picked up Ty Kana, linebacker, uh, who was a longtime commit to USC. And uh, thanks to the hiring of, uh, of Zarnell Fitch from TCU, they were able to bring over uh, three guys that were committed to TCU previously. So, um, you know, with with how tough these transition classes are, I think that that was really important. Also, you you know, I, there, I would also point to a future member too. BYU was able to benefit um, by the unexpected resignation of Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia. They're able to, to flip over three players for their class, and that that bumped their class up about twenty five spots in the team rankings. So, um, you know that you have to kind of. I, I know that a lot of this recruiting, you kind of put in the year on it, and these guys are locked up for a while, and you 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 know you just hold on to them and sign them. But especially right now, between the portal and and the decommitments and all that stuff, in a cycle that was still a little bit odd. Overall, um, you know, I, you you do have to keep your head on a swivel and and know that there's going to be some pretty good players that suddenly become available to you again. Um, and uh, you know, Texas very much benefited from that as well, like you mentioned, Sam, with uh, being able to get um, Jalen Gilbo back in their class, being able to get Calvin Banks and Cameron Williams, um, and and you know, to to flip Xavier and Bryce from from Oklahoma, um, and and Xavier Red from SMU. So uh, this is uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how those players, you know kind of perform here over the next few years are a lot of those guys, the guys that kind of end up in the portal because they made, you know, changes and they made quick decisions because of this early signing period. And, you know, this may be the last time we have the early signing period. We'll, we'll see how that stuff goes too. But um, it was a, uh, it was a fun, fun cycle yesterday. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia signed a lot of good players. <laughs> and you know what? How about A&M? Like, give it up to them. Yeah. Holy Num- moly. Absolutely. Number, number one class in the country. I was at, uh, Cam Dewberry signing ceremony and one of many that they reeled in 
on Saturday, but this is the best class of Texas A&M history. And I got to give Jimbo Fisher and his Not staff close. a ton yeah, of credit. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they, if they hold on, if they finish the February period with this number one class, they will be the first school since Florida in 2010 that's not named Alabama or Georgia to win the national recruiting recruiting title, at least in the 247 sports composite rankings. So that's an impressive feat uh, for Jimbo Fisher. And also, by the way, his fourth consecutive top eight class nationally, which is also unprecedented for A&M. Really, really kind of incredible, Sam, when you think about the, the perfect storm that I think contributes to that. And it's not just um, that we know Jimbo Fisher can recruit at this level. We knew that when he took the job at Texas A&M. We knew that the the move to the SEC has, you know, significantly elevated their their ceiling in terms of the kind of class they can bring together. But um, to you know to beat Alabama, I know that was huge in this. To you know have the change at LSU, to have a, a lot of struggles at Texas, to have a, a change at Oklahoma. Like it's it, it's kind of amazing how all of these things happen around you as well. Not to say that Jimbo and his staff that that, that do a tremendous job didn't go out and do this all on their own because they did, but man, it, it, everything just kind of everything really just aligned perfectly in the universe here for AM to sign an absolutely incredible class. Yeah. Everything fell into place. And it's funny when I talked to Cam Dewberry, four-star offensive lineman from Atascocita who was down to Oklahoma, Texas and Texas A&M, he mentioned to me that stability was something he was looking for. And he was really interested in Oklahoma, but when Lincoln Riley left, just how, quickly that happened and how stunning it was just really moved him away from Norman and he was down to Texas and Texas A&M and ultimately the stability that was at A&M with a coach that's been there for four years who turned down the LSU job uh, ended up winning out. Sarkeesian I know did a really good job recruiting him but he only has been there 11 months and obviously there was a lot going on at Texas so I think there's something to be said for that especially with this early period and and before we go to Joey McGuire here in a minute I want one last thing I want to ask you guys is I get a growing sentiment that that people are out on the early signing period now. I, I talked to college coaches, administrators, talking to prospects and, and high school coaches that it seems to be disruptive and and there seems to be sentiment moving away that we should probably either eliminate the early signing period or some somehow radically adjust it. Jason, what, what thoughts do you have on that, especially considering what you had to do here at the end? Yeah, I mean, you, it's causing all kinds of chaos. I mean, the, these coaches are having to leave their jobs earlier, which is causing chaos in these programs, which then the programs have to go out and potentially poach another coach which puts another team in in bad shape i mean it's just sort of a, a it's just it's madness and and they're gonna have to do something i don't know what the answer is but um between you know bowl preparations i mean this year for for crying out loud this year a guy whose team was in the playoff mix left for another job because he felt like yeah. in order to take that job he had to get started on recruiting so he left a team that could have still made the playoff it's just not sustainable, I don't think. So so, so the question here, and I agree, Jason, I, I don't think that I have the magic answer for this either of, oh, maybe it should be an August signing period or a January one or what. I, I don't really know what it should be. Um, do you guys think that the tradition now will just be as soon as you lose uh, faith in your, your coach, then you fire him? Like, like we saw with, um, well, you know, t- frankly, like we saw with Matt Wells and like we yeah. saw with – um, you know, Ed Orgeron and Clay Helton this year. Like, do you think that that will still kind of be the standard in that? Because I know it's easy to say, oh, recruiting is a part of this too. We want to get a head start on making the hire and getting the recruiting going and all that. But I wonder if it's just going to, we're just going to keep seeing even, you know, these, these really early firings too. 
Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, heck, Les Miles was hired four weeks into the season before the early signing period was a thing. Uh, Lane Kiffin was tarmacked well before the early signing period was a thing right, at right. USC. So, I, yeah, I think it's possible because just the nature of impatience and uh, social media furor can can build a groundswell for a program. But then, but then when SC opens too early, then Lincoln Riley needs to leave as soon as possible for that job. Right. You know what I mean? Like in terms of the, they have all this time to pursue a search and, and same with Brian Kelly. Those, those two jobs have been open for a long time. They had, they had a long time to figure out the home run swing they wanted to take. And then as soon as Lincoln Riley's big 12 championship game is over, they need him to come over. And I think that's part of it. That's in, and, and then it's like, okay, well, there's a dream job. I want to take and all that, but the timing sucks and all that. So I, I think that part of it is also contributing to the problem here where if people would just wait and fire people all at the same time, I think that maybe that would make things a little bit easier. But I, I do, you know, certainly share the concern that uh, the early signing period was created because kids wanted to get their recruitment done and be done with all the hassle of it. Um, at the same time, I think we're we're seeing we're seeing some consequences of, of this that are tough. Yeah, maybe, I, I, maybe I would uh, be. I'm sorry. No, I would be in favor of an August thing, and I, I, I will admit I haven't fully thought it through, but if you want an early period, I would be in favor of August just because it's highly unlikely you're going to fire a guy in July or June. You're, you're too deep in, and you're right before the season, and it allows guys to just play their senior year from a high school standpoint and not have to worry about it. But then it does open a Pandora's box of, okay, do you have guys when they sign, they decide not to play their senior year of high school, which we've seen in some cases even before this. But but I, that, that, I, if, I think if you just ask me what I would rather go do, I would rather go back to just February. I think that would be it. But if we want to have an early period, I think August makes more sense. But Jason, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, what happens though if a bunch of kids sign in August and then the coach gets fired in December, I mean, are you going to have a, a whole run of kids who, if, if you're letting kids out of those all the time, then yeah. right. Then, then is it really a signing day? Well, I mean, yeah. wait, that, I think that's kind of part of what the one-time transfer rule is for though. Now, isn't it? I think we, we have that ability. They can move if they need to, uh, but can you already, do that before you, but, even but get then to you're campus? just making a commitment in August. You're not really, yeah, you're not true, really locked true. up. That, and, and again, <laughs> that's why I say I haven't fully thought it through, but, yeah. and, and I, I just don't know. I think the the original intentions for the early signing period were good, but the byproduct that we've seen has been pretty damaging, not just from a hiring and firing cycle standpoint, but from players. Like I said, I talked to Denver Harris yesterday, and he's like, man, he goes, this is a lot of pressure right now, and I'm trying to win a state championship. And I know not everybody's playing right now. There's a lot of states that have already finished, but Texas is a huge state with a ton of prospects, and a lot of these guys are playing. Dana Holgerson was telling me it's hard to get guys who are still playing to visit. You know, because they they're playing Saturday playoff games, so it's kind of hard to get them on campus for an official mm -hmm. visit mm -hmm. in December or late November. Uh, in I Texas. think one thing that would help if we and I don't know, maybe I, I can't tell if I if I like it or if it feels a little bit too overreactive to get rid of the early signing period, but maybe it would help a little bit if you have to wait till February. Then at least you do have a lot better sense than to of how many players you've lost to the portal and to the draft. I agree. And that also seems to be part of this that I know yeah. that everyone has kind of this numbers crunch every year and, and they built in some flexibility this year and we'll see how they handle that going forward in terms of the extra scholarships. But it does seem like those things are the roster. If we, if we all admit that the roster management part is getting unwieldy, then maybe that's part of it too, that, that you need to have a much clearer sense um, going into February of what you really need. And, I don't know, maybe getting rid of the early signing period helps that. 
What if you say, <laughs> I, I almost said earlier, what if you just say a new rule that you have to, if you're going to fire your coach, you have to do it within this two week period. The problem with that the firing though, window. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem with that is what if, you know, so then coach, coaches would all be on like their very best behavior right before that and they'd get another yeah. year and then they'd act terrible after that. Well, but I feel like the, the consequences of that are so like, what if there's a coach that needs to be fired for cause? Right. Um, yeah. It, yeah. You know, you, do you have to wait till that period or then would, co- would schools concoct all kinds of reasons for cause that, that aren't really for cause to fire guys. There's a million. Oh, they're already doing that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Kansas. Well, I, do, oh. yeah. I, I do wonder if the future will be, and maybe this is just one example and it's unique or whatever, but is the future going to be these deals where, you know, TCU's open and we know for a month that Sonny Dykes is going to be the head coach of TCU, but they can't go yet. But you, I mean like that, because I don't think that that's like a great situation for anyone either. No, but, that was bad. And I talked to Sonny about that and, and I'll end up doing a story about it, but that was bad. It, it just, yeah. it impacted the SMU team. There's no question. No, no nobody. It. Yeah. Nobody likes the effect of that, but I, <laughs> that, I, I think that the hirings and firings are, are part of that too. And, and I mean, yeah, you're, you, you're right, Jason, like you kind of can't control the timing on that stuff either. So it's uh, it's clearly it's clearly messy right now, though. That's for sure, and uh, very beneficial to the programs that 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 uh, are stable and and are not going through transitions right now. But shoot, as we saw at uh, Oklahoma and Notre Dame, you, you may think you're one of those, and then all of a sudden your coach is gone. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's been the craziest adjustment just covering this program. As long as I have, it's like, I'm not used to this kind of upheaval. <laughs> like it's, you know, this program's easy to cover. There's never coaching changes. There's never all this crazy recruiting stuff. So it's, this has been an experience. I would, I would say for me. Well, what one guy who has mastered the early signing period in his first time out, just because he got a little bit of head start was Texas tech head coach, Joe McGuire, 16 early signees and three transfers for the red Raiders on Wednesday. Let's uh, let's go to our interview with Joey McGuire and talk about uh, Texas Tech. Now on One True Pod, we welcome a special guest, one of my favorite people, someone I've known for quite some time, new Texas Tech head coach, Joey McGuire. Joey just inked a signing class. He got hired on November 8th, I believe. So it's been about five and a half weeks as you've been on the job. Joey, welcome to One True Pod. How are you doing, sir? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, really excited. Great to be with you and, and Max and uh, get to talk about some uh, Red Raiders. I'm excited about it. So first, before we get started and dive into it, I wanted to let you know, last night I was watching the streaming show that you guys did on ESPN Plus where you were uh, breaking down the class with, with Robert. And I'm, I'm listening and about halfway through, I see none other than Max Olson pop up. Oh, yeah. And I'm starting to wonder, why did Max get the choice over me to show up on your first signing show, Joey. We go back like 15 years. What is I that? Know. Wow. I know, man. Hey, Cold world. Hey, let's blame Matt for that. I think that was his fault. Uh, <laughs> I think it's crazy. Dowdy, that's on you, man. That's on you. No, but you, you did a great job, uh, and you got this uh, signing class in the books. Uh, just start off, what, what excites you most about uh, your first class? Obviously, a little bit of a drinking water of a fire hose, but right. you got some good players. What, what, what are your top line thoughts on what you, what you hauled in yesterday? Um, you know, the biggest thing that we wanted to do was uh, create some more length on defense. I think we did, you know, all the way across the board from uh, the D line, the linebackers we picked up and the secondary guys. And, and then the other thing that, you know, you'll see that will be a theme 
besides length is, is speed. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I learned from the bull and he always talked about length and speed and having developmental traits. And uh, so I think we did both of those yesterday. Um, it, it was a really, really good class for us. Joey, when y'all were at Baylor, uh, you were able to put together a transition class from scratch, totally from right. scratch. And, you know, you, you watch a lot of those kids go play for a Big 12 title, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago here. Transition classes are super hard, especially in these times. Like, are there things you took from your experiences to say, like, we got to be careful with this class. Let's not reach too much. Let's kind of be careful with how we use our spots. How did you approach this this challenge of this class? Well, you know, you know, it's crazy you say that because whenever I got the job at Baylor, when uh, Coach Rule hired me, we had Jalen Petrie. That was it. And was so it. that was it. So we had to sign a lot of guys in about three weeks. And so I think that experience helped us a lot uh, here. You know, the biggest thing we wanted to kind of identify what a Texas Tech uh, Red Raider looks like and and really stick to that model. You know, if it was a deal that uh, maybe somebody didn't fit, then we didn't want to take the reach. We wanted to make sure maybe we had that spot for guys that didn't sign yesterday. Um, but we, we wanted to make sure that uh, they really fit what we're trying to do here. And, uh, you know, a credit goes to uh, the staff before us, too, because they had some really good guys committed um, and we, we kept the majority of them. So. Um, they they were fitting. I mean, I'm so fired up about Ben Roberts. I mean, he's got great length at linebacker um, and, and can really run. And I loved him whenever I was at the other place. So, you know, it was really some of those guys uh, we, we were already fired up about. And then we got some need in the D-line uh, just as far as like size that we wanted to, to really address. When you say fit in Texas Tech, do you try and follow – the old, you know, Nick Saban rules about, you know, positional requirements and all that, or is it more about just trying to, uh, you know, find, find guys that you, you think are ballers and kind of have that, that more of that developmental path? You know, it's the last part of like what you said. I mean, I think a lot of people, whenever they hear developmental program, it's almost like a bad word. And I look at it as like, really, when you're talking about developmental program, you're talking about guys that have traits to develop into NFL players. And so whenever you're looking at it, that it's more positive. Um, and so that's what we're really looking at. You know, what are these guys traits? What are their redeeming qualities that we can be able to take them, bring them here, teach them our culture, hand them over to Lance Barlow, our strength coach, our nutritionist, and then turn these guys into, you know, guys that you saw in 2019 that played for the Big 12 championship and 2021 that, that won the Big 12 championship. Those guys – they all had some kind of developmental trait that, that we really liked. Joey, I want to ask you a little bit about your, your Cedar Hill group. Obviously, this is yeah. the background that you have. This was where you spent the bulk of your coaching career as the head coach of Cedar Hill High School uh, in the Dallas area. You the, Before you were introduced as the head coach, you had three commitments for, from Cedar Hill guys. One of my personal favorites, Sincere Massey, I think is one of the most underrated defensive tackles uh, maybe in the country. But – Tell me a little bit about how that process went. Like you, you get the job and you're already bringing guys. Like it is very rare that we get a situation. You, you, did where you just send like on one board. text message to each of those guys and they said, <laughs> "Okay, I'm in." I mean, how does that happen? <laughs> Pretty close, man. Pretty close. I mean, the good thing is, you know, all three of them were Power Five guys. You know, that were being recruited. Um, you know, and and had been on the visits and stuff like that. So 
had a relationship with them. And, you know, it was one of the deals of they're really close. All three of them are really close. Um, and whenever it happened and I knew it was going to be official, I basically, Hey, sh- give me a call and, uh, shot them a text, give me a call. And they did. And, and, uh, man, they jumped in the boat quick. I love what you said about sincere because I am a hundred percent with you. And whenever people see his measurables, one, he's got great film, but the guy's almost six, five, you know, 82 inch arms. I mean, the guy, he really, you're talking about going back to those developmental traits. He has all of them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you when you, from that moment you take on that job and you've been obviously recruiting, putting together staff, meeting with current players, but the, your your hiring timetable was a little sooner than, than most coaches. Most coaches come in first week of December into November, and then you've got two weeks to get this thing put together. How much did that head start help you put this class together? You know, I, I think it helped a lot uh, from the standpoint of us being able to really evaluate the current roster, kind of we were able to watch them in a different way. You know, we got to watch three games, uh, you know, two of them live being in the stadium um, and then getting to meet them one-on-one and start developing a relationship because really just as much as recruiting this class we signed yesterday was recruiting the current team. I mean, we've got some – this is a good football team, and and, uh, I wanted to make sure that we didn't lose anybody that we wanted to make – that wanted to be a Red Raider and wanted to, to come back. So we spent a lot of time meeting with them and, and uh, getting to know them and letting them get to know me. And, and so it's, it's been a good, good deal, but I really think it helped me uh, really address some needs whenever I really didn't know the roster, having that time to really watch them live and, and in person and what we could do and, and what, where we needed some improvement. This was uh, the year where y'all were finally able to get back out on the road after being, you know, locked at home with the dead period, no, no yeah. in-person recruiting and stuff. Uh, I'm sure hosting, you know, visit weekends there was huge. But also, how was, uh, you know, tell us about some of your favorite in-home uh, visit meals you had. Any any crazy stories from uh, hitting the road, which you can't do as much as a head coach, which sucks. No, it was uh, it, it was really good, man. We. Uh, it was good to be at back out. Um, got to do that a little bit, you know, during the season, but it was good to be back out. And you're talking about hitting it running. You know, uh, there's a couple coaches, uh, Todd at Brewer in, in, in uh, particular, that said, where's your entourage? You know, you're the only head coach that I've seen drive itself around. And that was for two <laughs> reasons. One, I needed everybody else on the road so we could hit as many schools as we could. And two, I was like, bro, I, who knows Dallas Fort Worth better than I do? Whenever, so I don't need any help getting around. You, you um, declined the GPS with the rental car there, right? That's easy. Yeah, I did a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But it was good. It was really good to get back. You know, we really, really focused on our current commits, uh, the guys that were committed to Texas Tech. That's where I focused, to make sure I could get in their house. 
Yeah, how'd that how'd that go? I mean, how, uh, it how was, was good getting to because you know part of it is you got to kind of figure out your pitch for Texas Tech right. and kind of what what works for people and, and kind of the best way you you want to sell it. So just how was uh you know putting on putting on the head coach jacket and and, and giving that a, a spin here? Man, you know it was really good. Uh, the good thing, the majority of this class I knew, uh, you know, had some sort of relationship with. The other thing, um, you know, like. Uh, like with Ty at, at Katie, you know, they're in the middle of the playoffs, you know, and they're playing. Luckily, they played on a Friday night, so he could come out on a Saturday. And that probably doesn't happen a lot. Um, but with Coach Joseph knowing who I am and everything like that, you know, he was – he understood Ty's a mid-year. He needed to make that decision and needed, you know, as much information as possible. And so it worked out pos- – it worked out great. I think it helps a bunch that I'm a Texas high school coach because um, putting this class together, the other thing I did was I told all the players, hey, call your head coach or call your position coach. Ask them, you know, who I am. I encourage the parents to do the same thing. And so it was uh, that that helped out a ton of signing as many Texas players as we did. Speaking of being a former Texas high school coach, you've got you've got some on your staff. Yeah. Uh, you've recruited a hell of a staff here. We got Zach Kitley as an offensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, defense coordinator, Emmett Jones, the former South Oak Cliff head coach. Uh, shout out to Sock, who's in the state championship game this weekend. But tell me how you put this staff together and, and you know, from bringing Kitley home to getting a guy like DeRuiter and then the mix, Kenny Perry, and then the mix of youth and, and experience and Texas recruiting ties. Well, you know, the biggest – this is going to sound crazy, but, like, that was the third piece of the puzzle. The the 1A and 1B, whichever way you want it, to, is all about the players. It's all mm-hmm. – this is a player's game. And so I spent more time recruiting um, and, and meeting with the current team and recruiting our players <clears throat> than I did – you know, I slowly put the staff together. I told the players, and, you know, I know there were a lot of fans and everything like that that were like, you know, who's going to be this guy? Who's going to be this guy? And, it was more important to me to make sure I had the players in, in the right state of mind um, than uh, getting the coaches in in a hurry. Uh, it was – you said it perfectly. It's kind of the youth, um, the, the guys that are, are rock stars, uh, you know, that are a little bit younger, that are, are, are really doing some great things, and then uh, some experience. Um, there was a group of guys that I knew no matter what, you know, they were coming – uh, Josh Bookbinder was one of them. Uh, Kenny Perry was one of them. Um, you know, there were guys that Josh Cochran, and it was like, when I get a job, just be ready, you know, just be ready to roll. And so that helped a lot because I was able to get those guys on the road and then was able to slowly put the staff together. And, and I say slowly, that was really important. I wanted to make sure that everybody that came into this building was all about the kids, period. You know, I didn't care. I, I've got some great X's and O's guys. I mean, great X's and O's guys. But it was more important to me that they knew we were going to build genuine relationships. And if I had any doubt about that, then I ended that interview and, and went to the next guy. Two guys I want to ask you about in particular, Zarnell Fitch, the QB hunter, from, yeah. uh, who, who was a defensive line coach at TCU, will be with you guys at Texas Tech. How, how key was his relationship with Joseph Adedire to getting him in the class? And then – uh, Kitley, I mean, everybody's seen what he's done offensively. Right. That that guy seems like a rising star. Well, you know, it's it's really cool because you said Emmett earlier and Zarnell. 
we three have been talking about coaching together forever. I mean, as long, <laughs> you know, I mean, I even uh, in the Kansas game, uh, Emmett and I both said, hey, look, if something happens for either one of us, hey, let's make sure we talk. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I respect Emmett so much. One, I've played against him. Uh, but two, what he was able to do at South Oak Cliff and then what he's been able to do at the college level uh, has been amazing. And then Zarnell, man, he's as good as they come. Um, one, a Texas high school head coach, um, you know, and has been through different roles at TCU and and uh, is, I think, one of the best, if not the best defensive line coach in the country. And the good thing is he's got the numbers to prove it between the number of sacks, tackles for losses, and the guys that he's put in the league. And so uh, that that was really good. And then Kidley, man, bringing him home. One thing he and I uh, kind of hooked up two years ago, and and really have stayed in contact. I mean, he would either send good luck or I would send good luck every single week uh, this year. But the one thing that he said to me, uh, really, when we first met, um, was, man, coach, there is a great way to recruit. Lubbock, and there is a great way to recruit West Texas, and um, that was really important to me. That that one, he wanted to be here. This is home, and, but two, he had a great idea of how to do it, and so I was excited to get him. Is was there when you thought of, when you got the job, and I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of guys on your list for OC. What what was kind of the the conversation in your head about in terms of identity and direction that you want to go as more of a defensive guy? What, what kind of offensive kind of brand you wanted to have at, at, at Texas Tech? And, and, and also with your experience in the conference, kind of what do you need to be to be successful in this conference? Well, you know, the conference has changed tremendously from the standpoint. Yeah. It's not the old aired out, you know, 10 personnel. The majority of the conference is 11 and 12 personnel. You know, you got enough under center as any other conference in the nation. Um you know, you got Baylor and Kansas really majoring in the wide zone. And so um, it's really different. I think uh, we have a chance to be different of as where as that conference is going. But the one that one of the best answers uh, Zach gave me in the interview was coach, whatever our and it, it's going to sound crazy. I take this and make the statement with great pride. It was like what high school coaches do. He said, Coach, whatever our personnel is, if it's 20 personnel, we have two great backs. If it's 12 personnel because we've got the two best tight ends in the country, all I want to do is win. I'm going to find a way to get our best players on the field and make them successful. And so whenever he was saying that, I was like, man, I did that for 23 years. Like, that's <laughs> what high school coaches do. And so – um, I know I keep going back to that, and, you know, there's this – I mean, I'm listening to ESPN this morning. They're talking about they're bashing college football and they're whatever, and I'm just laughing going, man, what, well, what is – what's so great about the football that's – you know, you see on Sunday that's different from – I promise you, you're going to see some entertaining games in Cowboys Stadium that's great football and it's better than what uh, some people are putting out on around the country, whatever day it is, and, you know, and so – sure. What he said with that resonated with me. It's like, Coach, this is who we can be, but let's not be that guy that has the best player standing next to us on the sideline just to be in 12 personnel. Or let's don't have the best tight end in the country standing next to you just to be in 10 personnel. You know, and so I I, I really like that. 
Joe, do you uh, do you ever stop and think a, a little as you're going through the craziness of the day to day of this job about uh, you know that being a D line coach at, at Crowley and, and who would have thought <laughs> it would all kind of lead to this? I do all the time. You know, uh, it, it's really uh, one. My wife, she'll tell you the first. She's the first person that keeps me grounded. She usually tells me every day, "Hey, you're just not that cool, Joey. You're not that big of a deal." Um, <laughs> but uh, really. We've we've woken up multiple times through all this and said, man, you know, can you believe this is real? I mean, it is a dream come true and truly a dream come true to the university Um, being at Texas Tech. I mean, I really fit that I I fit here. Um, You know, I feel at home here. And and so uh, it's it's kind of crazy, but exciting. In all the you know, I'm sure during the search, you have to kind of keep things close to the vest and. Who knows how it's going to play out and all that. At what point did you get to tell your daughter, Reagan, who who graduated from <laughs> Texas Tech, hey, dad might be the head coach of Texas Tech now? Well, you know, it was one of those deals. Uh, we're a really, really close family. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a – and we've added – we're going to add one. She's she's engaged. And so Joe's right oh, there with us. And thank you. And so going in kind of the first interview, you know, I told her, I said, look, you know, there could be some big things happening. And, you talking about fired up now. I mean, she loves Texas Tech. I mean, she she loved her time out here and has, you know, she's a she's a maid, uh, I don't even know what it's called, a bridesmaid or in about three weddings that are all Texas Tech girls, you know, and everybody that she met out here, you know, her best friends uh, besides her lifelong friend um, is is all Texas Tech, you know, everybody she met here. So she was really excited. So she's going to have a lot of people hitting her up for for the sweets and all that. <laughs> she's uh she actually had a bunch of friends visit her in New York and they FaceTime me and their dad uh, she sent me a text she goes dad they're going crazy right now they're so fired up for you. And so that that's been a lot of fun. Joey, last thing that I want to ask you about. I talked to Kirby Hoka when I was up there in Lubbock uh last last month during Thanksgiving and Kirby told me that when when this job came open you a couple days after the fact you called him and and that I, I the reason I asked this is because it's not necessarily frequent a lot of times guys have an agent call or you have right. somebody reach out through but he said you called to let him know I want this job and and why you know why you felt you were made for this job tell me a little bit about that process kind of what motivated you to make that call and and, and how much you think I guess it mattered at the end of the day you know I think uh, you know the biggest thing and, and you know I know because I've read it and and listened to different people. They're like, man, every coach is going to say the same thing. Like every coach is like, this is their dream job and everything like that. You know, really, this was a job that I wanted and I want, I wanted it really bad. I think, you know, it fits me. It, uh, the things that we believe in, I think is just totally throughout the community and throughout the university. And so I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. I mean, I, I, called some people to get his, his cell phone number. And, and man, I just wanted him to know, I didn't know where, which way he was going and what he was going to do, but I want him to know that I, I wanted the job. And I, all I was asking was, Hey, let me get in front of you and tell me who I am and what we want to do. And, and at the end of the day, if it didn't work out, it didn't, but I didn't want to pass up the opportunity and just sit back and let somebody do it for me. You know, and I've got some great people that have helped me and represent me, but I was, you know, and they were like, you know, hey, we can do that. And I was like, oh, man, 
I, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to make sure he hears my voice and the passion I have for this university. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, after this crazy five, six weeks here, does it finally slow down a tiny bit? Obviously, y'all got a bowl game coming up. No, it doesn't. I mean, literally, uh, last night, I sent out a text to the staff with our West Texas top 10 2023s, you know, and said, hey, y'all better get on them. You know, we've got, we're, we already have some, but I'm like, hey, you better be talking to these guys every day. I need um, them committed tomorrow. Yeah. Right. And then uh, I, uh, with everybody's kind of uh, gone different directions and some are still in the office. And, and so I was my guy of director of scouting. I, I said, hey, man, we need a spreadsheet to all the coaches. You know, you, you've got a, a few days and I'll help and a couple other guys will help, but this is what we got to do. And so, no, it's full bore, man. I, you know, it's one of those deals. My wife used to, when I first started coaching at Baylor, my wife was like, God, you're killing me with your two phones. And I used to tell her all the time, look, if I'm not talking to them, somebody is, you know, and I look at recruiting as just like a game day. You know, it's a competition and, and you know, it's uh, building relationships. And so that's, we got to do it there, you know, 365. Man, how, do, how did you also find time during all of this to get back to all the people that texted you and called you when you got the job? Well, a lot of late nights, man, because really, you know, between the two phones, um, there were a thousand on each one easily. And then that doesn't count the DMs. You know, I mean, I know you and I were DMing each other. And and, uh, so literally I was going to go through every one of them, you know, and and make sure that, you know, the people knew. And then whenever I flipped, you know, got my I turned my 254 number off and got my 806. I probably lost some, but I think between then and now I've recovered what, you know, or at least got back to the people that were saying congratulations, you know? And so it was important to me to make sure they knew, uh, I appreciated them reaching out. That's awesome. Now have y'all, have y'all picked out a house? How's, how's the settling down out there? We have, we're, uh, you know, I think we'll probably hopefully mid January be able to be able to move in. And, you know, it's kind of the running joke, but, we need to because that's whenever we can get Charlie, my dog, back out here to Lubbock. And so, um, you know, I'll get to see him for uh, a few minutes, you know, because I I'm luckily uh, am going to get to go to the game Saturday. Uh, they're honoring the, the uh, Texas Hall of Fame group that's going in in May. And so, again, because I had great players uh, at Cedar Hill – I, I'm getting to go into something like that. And so I get, I'll get to see him a little bit, um, you know, but that with the, we're empty nesters. So like our dog is our kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I miss him. No doubt. Now, Sam, you want, you want to tell Joey where you're going this weekend? So we're going to finish this podcast. I got to write, finish writing a story about Texas tech and Joey McGuire and recruiting class. We can pack up the family in the car. And we are going to Arlington, Texas, to AT&T Stadium for the Texas State High School Football Championship. Are Let you jealous, jealous, Joey McGuire? Well, hey, <laughs> I, I might get to see you Saturday for a moment, man. I, I am Come jealous. watch North Shore Duncanville Part 3, buddy. Come I, on now. I, I am jealous, man. But I'll have the TV on. I, I will watch. I watched both six-mans yesterday. You know, uh, I'll watch every single game. And, and I mean, how cool is it to see dads coach their sons and win state championships that happened yesterday, uh, made sure I sent coach a text. I mean, that, that's some, some incredible, incredible. I talked to Brian Bell this morning, uh, actually sent him an itinerary. He didn't need it, but I sent him an itinerary or when we played of just 
you know, times to get on and off the field. He doesn't need my help, but man, you know, uh, I want those guys to have a great experience. And so I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. How, how is that coaching, coaching on, on that turf and, and you, you've done it as the head coach at Cedar Hill. Joy. How is coaching on that, that, that Jerry world turf there in that, that moment? You know, it's incredible. Uh, there's nothing better than the, you know, the state, uh, state playoffs. You know, and I, I say that cause I'm planning on playing in the playoffs, you know, here in college football. So I think that will equal it, but having a game, you know, to where you can win it all and, you're talking about 16 weeks. I mean, you know, you think about that. I mean, you got to you got to win six to win it all in, in in Texas, and so it's incredible. What a great place to play! Um, it was funny. We're I was actually talking this morning to say, hey, look, the guys in the box can watch the jumbotron, but the guys on the field they need to be watching what's going on on the field. <laughs> I said it's like you're a a, a bug to light you just keep wanting to look up i said don't let them look up man make sure they're focused on the game i'll never forget the first time i was there in 2006 that's all i did i stood and all the players still do in the the press box you still just watch the game on the screen you do right the the i remember klein oak was playing the day i went and all their players were looking straight up to the sky from the side bottom of the sideline to see themselves on the big screen but uh sam how about this how about remembering uh will cole and, and literally, literally the day before when we had our walkthrough, he he uh, asked um, if the jumbotrons on each end were going to be turned on. And they said, why? And he's looking and he goes, are they going to be live? And they said, yes. He goes, oh, all right. And I asked him, what are you thinking? He goes, coach, I can use those as a rear view mirror. And on the very first touchdown, you could see him. He's going 70 and he's looking at the jumbotron to see if anybody's going to catch you. <laughs> That's unbelievable. And he was that fast that he could just stop and look back at guys. I'll never forget the 2006 state championship against Cy Falls. Will Cole put together probably the best single-game state championship performance I ever saw. There was no catching Will Cole that day. And and if you think about it, he rushed for 300 yards, and that was through two quarters and about five minutes because, you know, I we got up and I pulled him out and started playing everybody else. So there's no telling what he could have done if we would just, you know, kept going. When the when the second half started of that, I remember I turned to my, my colleague Jenny Dial was there with me and uh I looked at her. It was a, I think it was like a third and eleven on, on the first drive of the second half and I told her, I said, Watch, he's gonna take this one. And there oh, he yeah. went fifty one yards downfield. I was like I still I, I still know the play. I still know the play. We went Packer Red, which was our quarterback sneak. We blocked it up perfect and he hit it. <laughs> There, there was. And I'm a Cy Falls grad, so it a little hurt my heart a little. I know, bit, but, but, but I was happy for you. And then, of course, you stood up for him after the game because for some reason he did not make all state that year. Yeah, and, it was crazy. Uh, I'll never forget your speech that day. Yeah, yeah. But Joey, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us on One True Pod. New Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire. Great signing class. Great staff you put together. Uh, get some rest, brother. Enjoy right. the Texas high school football state championship games, and, and thanks for joining us today. All right, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate y'all. Y'all know how much I love you and what y'all do. Y'all are awesome. Well, that was a fun interview with Joey McGuire. Appreciate Texas Tech for making that happen. Uh, Going to be fun. I'm excited to see him this this weekend at the Texas State Championships. And thanks to you all uh, for listening to One True Pod. We're here every Thursday in the Andy Staple Show and Friends feed. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com 
slash one true pod. You'll get comprehensive coverage of this bowl season, the early signing period, the future of the Big 12, and so much more. So now is a great time to sign up. We'll see you next time, and thanks as always for listening. Mm-hmm.